spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in to Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and we are live here on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we're going to be spotlighting COVID-19. This, of course, as the new BA5 variant continues to spread through our islands, but focusing in on a symptom of COVID that many in our community continue to deal with. Yeah, we've talked a lot uh, just in passing about long COVID, but we want to dive deep into this issue. What is long COVID? How are people here in the islands experiencing it? And if you are suffering from it, what can you do? So this morning, we've invited Dr. Dominic Chow, who is an expert in this field. He helps to run the post-COVID care clinic. And uh, thank you so much for being here this morning, Dr. Chow. Thank you so much. So let's start with the basics. What is long COVID? Sure. So, uh, along, uh, it's the technical name is actually post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infection, and uh, we like to call it long COVID for short, the, the layman's uh, term. It is uh, a condition in which individuals, after the initial COVID infection, they continue to persistently have symptoms. Uh, so, many of our patients have um, shortness of breath, um, issues of fatigue. Uh, brain fog, as many of your listeners may know. Uh, so these constellation of symptoms, it could be a variety of sorts uh, that uh, have occurred during the acute COVID period or even after the acute COVID period, and it just continues to persist. And, and those are the individuals what we call long COVID because of the long progressive nature of these symptoms. And what are the types of treatment that you folks are looking into, uh, you know, providing for those who are suffering through this? Yeah, currently there is no guidelines or treatment for long COVID. My, my, my own thoughts is that there are multiple mechanisms for long COVID. Uh, so one size doesn't fit all. So many of our patients will have different symptoms from ranging from brain fog, some will not have brain fog, some will have muscle, muscle aches. By far the unifying theme uh, among people with long COVID is the fatigue. Individuals are quite uh, um, debilitated because of the, the symptoms that they have. And, and uh, so because of that, it's hard to necessarily choose one treatment that could actually help all of those individuals. And so currently, the treatment of long COVID is really symptom-based. And so if you have, say, if uh, individuals have shortness of breath, we would treat the shortness of breath. If the patient has chest pain, really a directed therapy towards the chest pain. Uh, brain fog is the same thing where we'll try to do things that can actually help with reducing those symptoms that people have. So, so basically it's a symptom-based treatment plan. And typically how long does long COVID last? Mm. That's a great question. We don't know. Um, uh, the long COVID itself has only been uh, in existence for for um, uh, three uh, three years, right? So um, at current um, 
we've had in our own uh, cohort of individuals in the post-COVID care clinic at Queens, I'll have to say that most of our patients, uh, it, it resolves within the year, but um, we do have a segment of patients, uh, about 15%, who, who unfortunately don't actually have uh, an end date for them. They continue to have persistent in, in this fatigue and really are debilitated. And um, uh, I'm hoping uh, within the new year that you know things will get better for them, but uh, they continue to struggle on a daily basis. We've seen this virus evolve over time uh, from when you know COVID first came out to what we're seeing now with the new variants. Uh, does long COVID apply to all of these different variants or have you seen it more uh, maybe with the earlier on uh, versions of the virus as opposed to what we're seeing now? Yeah, so the original uh, variant, the Delta variant itself, was um, probably an alpha, was probably the acute phase where we saw a lot of hospitalizations. And so we saw a lot of individuals uh, as post-hospitalization. Post uh, that's a big major risk factor for having long COVID. As time has come on, especially with the Omicron surge that we see now, um, we still see a lot of individuals with long COVID but the symptoms are a little bit more milder, but um, yeah, it's, it's a little different uh, compared to the initial phases. But the, the percent or rates of long COVID is still, we still estimate about 10 to 15 to some people saying as high as 30% of all people who have been affected with COVID. And, and that 10 to 30%, depending on which scale you're using, uh, does severity of initial in, uh, uh, infection determine disease, you know, determine long COVID? How do you know if you are more likely to get long COVID? Mm. Is there a patient profile yeah, the, of any the, kind? Yeah, there is currently no, um, the, the risk factors of having long COVID are really comorbidities. So people who have diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, or a higher risk for long COVID. Um, in terms of symptom-based, it, it isn't clear. If you're hospitalized, clearly that's a big factor of getting long COVID. But uh, more recently, we've had patients who had very mild symptoms of COVID. And then three, four, five months later, they'll actually start to have um, long COVID symptoms, brain fog, uh, fatigue. And it, it wasn't you know, it wouldn't be have been apparent had, you know, with the acute infection, um, their symptoms were quite mild again, and now they're having quite severe or significant symptoms, uh, you know, connected with their long COVID. I'm wondering if, if there has been any similarities in the cases that you've seen, if there's any underlying indicator or a contributing factor that may have allowed the fact that you can maybe tell which individual um, be it by age or, you know, even ethnicity, is there any sort of similarities that you're seeing with any of these patients? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, uh, I don't think we, we know the answer to that question yet, but we are part of a larger NIH trial that's called uh, 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 um, Researching COVID uh, to Enhance Recovery. Uh, the, the acronym being RECOVER, and uh, being an investigator, part of RECOVER, the, the, we're trying to answer some of those questions, trying to figure out are variants, a, a which variants can actually be a higher risk for long COVID, also comorbidities, and also factors that are, are more high, tied into ethnicity, um, 
socioeconomics in, in terms of uh, social determinants of health. And so a lot of those parameters are being collected as part of this larger NIH trial that we will hopefully be able to kind of pinpoint what might be risk factors towards, you know, um, getting COVID and, and, and then possibly long COVID. What about vaccination status? Does that is that any sort of protection yeah. against long COVID? Of course, we hope that you don't get COVID at all, and that's part of what the mm. vaccine helps us to do. But we've heard a lot of people say, well, vaccinations, at the very least, could probably keep you out of the hospital. Can they also keep you from getting long COVID? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, different myths about the, the um, uh, vaccination itself. So just to remind the viewers that uh, vaccinations are here to protect you from getting hospitalized and also going to the ICU and, and, and the, really protecting people from dying. Um, it's not there to actually reduce or stop you from possibly catching COVID. Uh, we know from the BA5 uh, that uh, it's quite contagious and we're seeing quite a big of a surge currently in Hawaii. Um, in terms of its uh, effects, we have 15 trials that, that have shown that vaccinations do actually help with reducing or, uh, re or kind of stopping uh, long COVID from occurring. So these 15 observational trials have been quite significant in our understanding of long COVID. Um, there's a thought that perhaps people with long COVID may have ongoing viral replication, very low amounts in the body, and that by vaccinating, you would, you would actually get rid of these um, viral um, uh, sites or entities or replication in the body. Um, we, I really do uh, suggest that the, to the viewers that um, if you're not vaccinated, to get vaccinated, and that if you've caught COVID, and um, you could actually, because of these 15 trials, vaccinations would actually reduce the risk of actually developing long COVID. And again, that has been seen in many of these trials. There was one trial that I know a lot of people have been uh, pointing towards, uh, uh, the VA trial that didn't see any improvements with getting, um, in terms of vaccinations and, and its uh, risk for long COVID. Uh, but that is just one trial uh, and the, it was really centered on VA um, uh, participants. And so that, that's a unique group of individuals. And so by far the 15 larger trials all do support the use of vaccines um, for everyone uh, in, in protecting from and reducing long COVID. I wonder if you can go into a little more detail to explain some of these symptoms. I mean, you know, you, you use terms like uh, brain fog or even just severe, uh, you know, just fatigue. Uh, what exactly, what specifically, I guess, does that look like? What are you seeing uh, in terms of what these patients uh, that you're treating are suffering through? I mean, what, what does that type of environment and life now living with COVID, long COVID look like for many of the patients that you're treating? Yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, again, there's a lot of um, myths and, and a lot of uh, misinformation out, out in the community. Um, unfortunately, some of our patients have been isolated uh, because a lot of their family and friends and even health professionals uh, do not believe that they're, they're undergoing having these symptoms. Uh, and, and so a lot of people on the outside do not believe of what long COVID is. Uh, and I want to um, assure and, and remind the viewers that long COVID is a real entity. It is a 
uh, defined entity under the Medicaid Medicare services. Uh, um, we've been studying it for quite a, you know, for the past year or so. Um, the mechanisms are quite different. We, we, there are some thoughts that it could be viral replication, um, viral um, uh, persistence, and, and, and parts and bits and parts of the virus still residually in the body. Uh, there may be inflammation. Uh, all of these kind of result in uh, higher inflammatory markers in the body, and that results in possibly these uh, fatigue syndromes that people are having and brain fog as well as chest pain and shortness of breath. And so our patients are suffering quite um, uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, majority of those our, our patients that we see at the long COVID have shortness of breath, chest discomfort, and um, brain fog. And it's quite debilitating. Most of those patients who, by the time they come see us, are not able to work. And, um, and, and, and because of that, they're not, you know, able to do oftentimes a lot of the activities of daily living. Mm, that sounds just terrible. What about access to care? How long does it take to be able to get to see an expert like yourself? What kind of resources, you know, how long is your waiting list? If we're talking 10 to 30% mm. of people who get COVID, so, and I know mm. we all know plenty of people who've gotten COVID, um, that seems like a, a patient population that would outnumber the resources available. Yeah, so for local resources um, uh, at the Queen Emma Clinics and the Queens Medical Center Post-COVID Care Clinic, we're, we're, uh, the, the waiting list is about uh, eight weeks. Um, and, and I do know our colleagues at uh, 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 Hawaii Pacific Health, uh, they have a, also a post-COVID care clinic. Um, uh, there are national resources that people can reach out to. Uh, there's a support group for long COVID uh, uh, supported by the uh, NIH and also CMS. Um, so there are ways that individuals do not have to kind of suffer alone. They can actually access these services to try to get um, some care that they can, you know, to, to, to actually try to recover. Um, um, I would still say that majority of patients should seek the care of their primary care physician uh, because that's the first line. Um, as I mentioned, 10 to 30% of all people who have been infected with acute COVID will develop long COVID. And so we're seeing, or we will see a, a rather large epidemic of individuals with these debilitating conditions. And so Queens, HPH, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to handle such a large influx of patients. It, it will really uh, need everyone's attention uh, in, in healthcare. And so starting out with your primary care physician is probably the first good start. Uh, you know, w when you're talking about this, this is an issue that's not just confined to Hawaii or, or just to our country. It's, it's something that everyone throughout the world is uh, in fact facing. Uh, what conversations are you having with your national or worldwide colleagues on this? Uh, are those types of discussions happening? Are other people seeing advancements or breakthroughs in other areas that may help those who are in Hawaii suffering through this? Yeah, as part of like the part of the recovery trial, um, we, we connect with many of the national recognized leaders in long COVID. And um, we, besides that, we also, being part of the John A. Burns School of Medicine, we also are connected with many other investigators who are actually studying this, this similar uh, uh, issue in their communities all across the United States. You know, uh, I think as we get better at defining what the mechanisms are, we'll have a better 
treatment outlook. Uh, currently, uh, again, it's all symptoms-based. Um, uh, I think uh, for now, very similar to what we experienced with HIV, it, it is a, uh, a major issue. Uh, patients are, are unfortunately suffering and uh, uh, the first wave of patients are having to kind of undergo some of these starts and, you know, fits and starts of, of actually getting appropriate care. Uh, I do believe within uh, one or two years, we will start to see better treatment plans available for people with long COVID. But at the current moment, um, uh, I, I would advise viewers not to go it alone, uh, seek the attention of your primary care physician, uh, seek care if you're if people, if you're not getting the appropriate care or not getting enough answers, uh, reach out to individuals like myself and, and, and uh, in nationally as well as locally to try to get those answers. Uh, because again, not to suffer alone. Um, but unfortunately, again, uh, we're, the epidemic is, is pretty uh, you know, new uh, within the past three years. And so um, uh, the amount of, of efforts is, is quite large, but the amount of treatments at the current moment is quite limited. I'm wondering if you are seeing the same rates of long COVID in your pediatric population. Are kids getting long COVID in that 10 to 30% range as well? You know, I'm not an expert. Uh, I, I, I mainly um, treat patients who are adults. Um, I have treated um, uh, teenagers, uh, uh, several, uh, but I, I'm, I'm not an expert in pediatrics. Uh, there, there was a once a thought that children um, uh, have a much less uh, risk of long COVID, uh, but I, I think um, it would be better if we involve our, our friends at Capulani Medical Center uh, in, in answering that question. When you look as, as a physician and you're seeing what you see now, what concerns you about the future of COVID-19 as a whole? Uh, yes, there have been big breakthroughs, obviously, with vaccinations, uh, with treatment efforts for those that suffer it. Uh, but in your you know, capacity uh, as a medical doctor here in our community and seeing what you're seeing now, especially with long COVID, uh, how long do you think that we'll continue to see this? And do you think that long COVID and new patients suffering through long COVID is, is something that will continue for some time? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really saddened to, to see uh, a group of our patients, uh, about 10% of our patients, uh, unfortunately, uh, having persistence of symptoms, and uh, we've we've tried uh, various uh, treatments on on our patients uh, to try to get them to be to try to get them recovered. And unfortunately, it seems that um, there doesn't seem to be uh, um, um, you know silver bolt, you know silver lining currently for them. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot of effort, um, continue persistence continue vigilance in actually getting patients to do the physical therapy to, to get them back to, um, to, their, to their pre-COVID state. Uh, it, it's quite sad uh, uh, what our patients are kind of going through. Many of those individuals cannot work. Uh, they, they're now on um, um, disability. Uh, 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 you know, just to kind of show you uh, a, a kind of um, a picture of their of the day that they go through. They'll wake up fatigued. 
uh, they'll have had a poor sleep. Uh, they'll kind of struggle with uh, rising because uh, what happens is that uh, COVID affects certain parts of the body, the nervous system and the heart that causes them to have autonomic imbalance, meaning that the patients will have quite a lot of dizziness and fatigue on standing. Um, and then throughout the day, uh, uh, clearly they could try to prepare foods and, and such, but it becomes a chore to even do minor activities and, and then uh, struggle through the rest of the day, having concentration issues, possibly getting into arguments with their family members because their family members will constantly say, hey, I, I kind of asked you to do certain things. They forget to do those things because their concentration is not very clear. They may have work issues, you know, if they are still working part-time um, and performance in their job. And then, you know, checkbooks and executive functions become a problem. Then they, you know, they may have some uh, financial difficulties because they're not able to, you know, proactively make, you know, uh, write checks as well as balance budgets and, and get food. And so um, I really, my heart breaks for them uh, in their daily struggles um, um, in, in, in trying to recover. I mean, the picture that you're painting is so distressing. I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, when you going back to the vaccination uh, question, there had been some talk early on that even if you get a vaccine post COVID, that could help to talk what you were do what you're talking about to sort of give you an immunity boost. Are you seeing that in in some of these folks? Is that actually working, or is that something that's now been uh, tossed yeah, aside? Uh, so, yeah, and so um, it, it is. Uh, we don't have uh, um, uh, data, but we 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 have seen anecdotally that. Uh, uh, about a quarter of our patients who actually get uh, vaccinated when they see us in the post-COVID care clinic, meaning that they have had the acute uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, they have symptoms defined by long COVID. They come, because of their symptoms, it's severe enough that they come see us. And when we see them, we convince them, uh, some of them will, will you know, uh, you know, finally agree to getting vaccinated. And a quarter of all those individuals will actually get better. Um, and I'm not sure if, you know, if it's the vaccine that, that's really helped them or not. But I think that from what we've seen, it seems that um, it, it probably was uh, the vaccine that helped them. And it's that same mechanism that we feel is likely the, the reason why they, you know, received the benefit. Uh, there was a underlying viral uh, persistence in the body. Uh, people, you know, if they do the nasal uh, swab test, it's not that same levels. We know that from the Stanford um, studies that there is on, ongoing viral replication in the nasal pharyngeal areas. Of, and, and it requires what we call deep seeding PCR testing to find uh, this, this viral replication. And perhaps by vaccinating those individuals who have viral persistence, that they're finally able to get rid of the virus. And when they get rid of the virus, they will these symptoms that they're having will sign will will finally abate. I want to bring in a question from a viewer who said, "My son got COVID at seven months. He's about nine months and is still coughing." Uh, I, you know, just again to answer a question that we had earlier. I mean, would this constitute as a form of long COVID? How do you categorize this? And, and is this something that you see as normal? 
Yeah, so that those symptoms would be still be consistent with long COVID. Again, uh, the definition is quite broad, but people who have not had these symptoms before, who can't get it explained by for other reasons, you know, if it, someone had asthma before, that may not be consistent with long COVID. But say someone who has not had uh, asthma uh, has caught COVID and then, you know, subsequently had cough during the acute phase that has spilled over beyond four months, uh, or uh, that, that would be a defined case of long COVID. And so for your viewer who has had this, we, this is not uncommon. Um, we believe that that might be uh, an issue in which cells, certain cells in the body are affected. We, we, we know that mast cells are, are affected by COVID and perhaps the activation of these cells caused them to be a little bit more activated, a little bit more hyper in, in secreting certain cytokines that, that will result in persistence of these cough. And uh, um, uh, I think that that individual who, uh, who, who, who gave the questions should follow up with his or, or her primary care physician as they could actually address this by giving, you know, inhaled steroids um, uh, or or um, um, antihistamines, those, those could be helpful um, in, in these cases of chronic cough and, or, and wheezing. I'm interested to know uh, when, you know, we see in our community now, there is this feeling that there, people are kind of done with COVID. Uh, they don't not necessarily want to wear a mask. The DOE just changed its policy that masking will not be mandatory in schools anymore. And a lot of folks say, well, the infection's relatively mild, so I'm not too worried about it. What do you say to those folks, knowing what you know about the patients that you see? Yeah, I know, uh, you know, everyone is tired. I mean, I'm tired of COVID too, uh, in terms of uh, the effects. But but uh, unfortunately, the long-term uh, effects are, are there. Um, long COVID is a, a, a large concern. Uh, I would advise patients to still do the um, social distancing. I, I know it's, it's hard, uh, but um, uh, to protect other individuals from increasing the pool of individuals getting infected, um, getting yourself, you know, protected against uh, COVID and preventing long COVID from occurring. Um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. I, I know people are exhausted from the pandemic, but uh, we shouldn't uh, lose sight that, you know, th these are serious health concerns and that we can't take our eye off of, off of this. You know, we are out of time, but wanted to let you just kind of have any final thoughts as we close out this morning. Your message for those who are watching this, who are maybe know someone suffering through long COVID or, uh, you know, just are generally watching to get more information. Your final thought here this morning. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a uh, HIV um, physician uh, with, with many years of experience. And one of the things that we saw with this, with the HIV epidemic, we initially saw that very similar to the COVID um, pandemic, uh, we first saw that there was a lot of, um, um, you know, uh, deaths as well as uh, uh, comorbidities um, and then morbidity of, of our patients. And then we got good at it in terms of, we got antivirals and we got good at producing good effective therapies. I see that there's very a lot of similarities with long COVID itself and COVID infections. I, I would suggest that patients, you know, continue to be vigilant about making sure that they don't catch COVID, uh, get vaccinated, uh, see their clinicians. If they do get 
uh, COVID and then certainly with long COVID. Uh, as a uh, researcher also uh, at the John A. Bird School of Medicine and also at Queens, uh, I would ha have your you know, viewers you know, help us with uh, trying to find some of these answers. We are part of a larger NIH recover study, as I mentioned before. If individuals who have um, recent had COVID infections or not having any prior COVID infections, we would want you to you know, help us try to get some of these answers. And, th and these individuals can actually do their, you know, if they want to participate in a national study, it is COVID at hawaii.edu. And uh, just by emailing that, uh, you could help us try to answer some of these questions and hopefully develop better treatments for long COVID. Wow, we learned so much today from you. Thank you so much, Dr. Dominic Chow with the Queen's Post-COVID Care Clinic. We really appreciate all the work you're doing and all of the information that you shared this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, Ryan, that was really enlightening and pretty sobering to hear that 10 to 30% by his estimation of folks who experience COVID, no matter how uh, severe the infection it sounds like, can develop long COVID symptoms. That's what they're that's what they're seeing. And if you went, if you missed any part of the interview, go back and listen because when he outlines just what a day in the life of the patients that he's seeing uh, are experiencing, it just sounds really, really tough. Yeah, and it sounds like there is still a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you heard him mention at the end that call out for any individuals who may be interested in joining the study or, or being a part. Uh, as they go through and navigate this, the symptoms and the effects of long COVID, uh, looking for individuals' help, but also recognizing that there are a lot of things that they are still learning. Uh, when you look at the longevity of this entire virus, yes, people are tired of it. Uh, many people have moved on. Uh, but through this, this is still a, a work in progress, if you will, for many in the medical community as they learn more and get more data and are able to do more research. They're able to learn more about the effects of long COVID and also recognizing that there really isn't any treatment, that, that they're trying to treat each individual that suffers through this by case by case, depending on some of the things that they are suffering through individually. Yeah, and he did call it an epidemic, that long COVID will be with us for some time to come. He said that about 10 to 15% of the patients that he sees have been suffering with this for a year or longer. They just don't seem to be recovering, and that has led to some debilitating life changes. You know, his best advice is to continue the social distancing, the masking, the messaging that we've been getting and giving throughout the pandemic, because you really don't want to catch this virus as, uh, as you really don't want to catch long COVID. He also did mention that while they are seeing uh, as many patients as they can, the wait time to get into his long uh, post-COVID care clinic is about two months. And so there are certainly a lot of people suffering. Also, he talked about the stigma and the perception that people, you know, that non-COVID might not be a real thing, the isolation from friends and family who just don't understand the mechanisms of this disease and perhaps don't really give it a lot of credibility. Um, so it just sounds like the folks who are suffering through this are suffering through quite a bit. We really appreciate having him on, uh, and we do hope to have him on again. On Monday, Ryan, we're heading over to Honolulu Hale to talk with the mayor. Yeah, we're looking forward to catching up with Mayor Rick Langiardi. There are a number, of course, things that are in front of the mayor uh, with the budget, as well as some other changes that are happening. We want to get an update, of course, on what rail uh, it looks like at this point in time. Uh, always a lot of questions for the mayor, a full show of a series of shows next week that we're looking forward to having. We hope that you have a great weekend and we'll see you right back here on Monday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha.
This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longs Drugs.